all of you and good morning. It's so wonderful to be here and we're thankful and blessed to be able to be a part of this church family. I'm thankful that uh, my family can be a part of such a special place that blessed my life and, and uh, uh, had such a continual impact on my life during those uh, formative years. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're very glad to have you here. We thank you so much for coming our way. And come back. Keep coming. We want you to know that you're welcome here. Anytime we get together and have something, you're welcome. And so we're so thankful for our members that we have here. And, and you, you have uh, seen this congregation through a difficult time. And it's good to be back together in person and increasingly so in the coming weeks and months. And those of you who are online with us, we're so very thankful that you're with us. We hope that uh, you'll continue to uh, participate with our worship services. And if there's anything we can do for you, we want you to know that we're here for you. So don't hesitate to reach out to us. We appreciate everyone being here. Be sure to invite people also. You know, you can do advertising, you can do all kinds of things, but the best way to get people uh, to come with you, the best way to get people to visit is a personal invitation. And so we want to encourage you, be sure to do that. And don't just invite for <clears throat> the big thing or whatever that is or, or just for youth group, even though that, that might be a good way to introduce somebody uh, to the youth group and to the church. Invite them for Bible class. Invite them for worship. Be a part of everything. Take in everything that we're doing. So your, your work of inviting people is going to make the greatest impact. And that's a good way to start a conversation with somebody, to connect them with somebody who can start a conversation uh, about God that might ultimately lead to that person putting on Christ in baptism. So a simple invitation. Uh, and when you start doing it, it becomes normal and natural, and then it doesn't feel sometimes as scary as sometimes it is. Uh, on behalf of my family, I want to thank you so very much for your kindness and generosity as, we, as we've transitioned here. Uh, every single thing that you've done has meant so much to us, and uh, we greatly appreciate everything that you've done. Uh, there's been a lot of things uh, that, have, that have helped in so many ways, from helping us move in to prayers to uh, all kinds of things, and we appreciate every single thing. Thank you so much. Bull the Bullard Church of Christ is a special place. And I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad that my family can experience the Bullard Church of Christ. And haven't Kenley and Matt done a wonderful job these last several weeks? They've done an amazing job at preaching the word. And so we're so very thankful and blessed to have them and their families here at this congregation. I want to start with a series called If Jesus is Lord. And, and so the idea is, if Jesus is Lord, then what are the implications of that? What does that mean for my life if Jesus is Lord? What does that do for me? What, what's the impact on me personally? What, what difference does that make in my life if, in fact, Jesus is Lord? And so I want us to think about that question through this series. And, and each week we'll look at a different area that will consider Jesus being our Lord, okay? And so, and, and, and we might think, well, 
isn't, isn't Jesus Lord no matter what we believe or what we think, whether we believe he is or not? And I think that's a very good question. And, and, and the answer is, yes, he is. Jesus is Lord no matter what. He, he's Lord whether we acknowledge that, whether we believe that, whether we believe he exists or not. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord. But what are we talking about when we're thinking about this, if Jesus is Lord then? What we're assuming then is that you already believe he is Lord regardless. And, and the, the idea of Jesus being Lord, that, it, that term is declaring his deity. Him as, as master, as, as ruler, as, as Lord over us, as having authority over us. It was used in, uh, of, of kings and of masters in, throughout biblical times. And, and that's what it meant. But when it was ascribed to Jesus, and it's used to, with Jesus and God interchangeably in Scripture... It's, it's referring to something beyond what it was used, the way it was used for man, and that is even the deity of Jesus, and of course of God as well. So, if I'm a Christian, what does it mean to say if Jesus is Lord? Now, now we know from his birth, Luke 2, 11, uh, he was declared Lord for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then do you remember what, what Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Verse 36, he said, after he finished his sermon and, sermon and right before the people responded and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, let all the house of Israel know that for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So Jesus is Lord. We're looking at that question from the dimension of, okay, if he is, if I claim that, if I say I believe that, then what? What does that mean? What is the impact or the difference it should make on my life? And so today, for a few minutes, and we'll, we'll be short to be uh, on time, for a few minutes, I want us to think about if Jesus is Lord, then, then that means my shoes ought to be dusty. Now, I thought we weren't supposed to have dusty shoes, but let's think about that. Jesus was considered a rabbi in his time. And rabbi means master or teacher or great one. Now, today it's used, it has a more official status, term of status. But back then, it simply was given to a wise a Jewish teacher, a sage of, of that day. And so Jesus wasn't a, a part of any official uh, hierarchy or, or religious system, but he was called and considered a rabbi because he was a great teacher. Now, in Jesus' day, Jewish children learned from rabbis. And as they grew older, some would continue their education while others would go off to start working in the trade, different trades, the family trade, fishing, uh, carpentry, whatever that might be. And around age 14 or 15, the best and the brightest students would make it to a different educational level called Bet Midrash. And this was house of study. So they're, they're going to another level there. And they only took the best and brightest. And then they had to apply to be a disciple of a rabbi. 
You didn't get, just get to be one. You had to, you had to apply and go through a process. And the goal of that disciple uh, wasn't just to know what the rabbi knew. It was to be just like the rabbi. A very different thing. It wasn't just to learn from the teacher. It was to be just like the teacher. And so when the student applied to be a rabbi, he was desiring to take the rabbi's yoke upon him. He wanted to learn to do what the rabbi did. And, and the rabbi would want to know in this application process a few things about the student. Can this uh, student do what I do? Can he be like me? Does he have what it takes? And the rabbi would ask them questions about the Torah and traditions and, and other rabbis and the prophets and sages and oral law and all kinds of interpretations and meanings. It was very complex, and it was made to sift out those uh, who, who would only be able to make it in these ranks. And so if the rabbi believed that student had what it took, then he would say to them, come follow me. You heard those words before? And it was the rabbi saying to the student that he believed he could be like him. And he called him to be his student. The student will leave his parents, leave the synagogue, leave his village, his friends, everything, and devote his life to learning from his rabbi. And this was a once-in-a-lifetime rare opportunity. This was something that the family celebrated. And so he would follow his rabbi literally everywhere giving up his whole life to learn everything he could from the rabbi. But when we think about Jesus' disciples, they weren't usually those kind of guys, were they? That, that's not the kind of guys Jesus went to to call to be disciples. Jesus typically went to the guys who were off doing the family trade, not the elite students. And so they couldn't continue in their formal education following a rabbi. And so look at our text in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. See the family trade? They weren't getting an education in, in a formal way. They were out working, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, and he said to them, Follow me, remember that? And I will make you fishers of men. So remember, they were supposed to learn to be just like the rabbi. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, come follow me and I'm going to make you like me. But he connects to what they're doing and he says, a different kind of fisherman, fishers of men, because that's what Jesus did. And verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, uh, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Why? This was a rabbi calling you to follow him. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They were out there fishing because they weren't cut out to be disciples of a rabbi in the traditional way. So Jesus went to the not good enoughs and said, you're good enough. He said, you can learn to be like me. Follow me. They left their nets. They walked away immediately and followed him. And that was the greatest thing that had ever happened to them in their life. 
It was an unbelievable opportunity for this rabbi to come call them to follow him. And that's why they left with no hesitation. And what Jesus was going to do was to completely change their lives. And we know that's how things started to play out. And so now we think about, okay, well, what does that mean for us? Where are we in all of this? Well, guess what? We're those out there doing the trades. We're those doing the fish, the fishing and the carpentry and blacksmith. And we're, we're those people, the, the not good enough. We wouldn't make it in the ranks. We, we're not in that group. We're in the group that Jesus went after to call. Look at Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to the little children. See, not the wise and understanding, but the little children, those who would hear and receive and follow. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone who comes to the Son uh, uh, comes to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Verse 28, come to me. See those words again? All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who was he calling? The people under burden of the Jewish system, the people who weren't cut out, the people who weren't making it. He said, come to me and follow me, and I will give you rest. Look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon me, and what? Learn from me. You see that? And I, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Disciples would follow their rabbis everywhere. They wouldn't just follow at a distance and act like they were paying attention and they're really looking over here, texting, you know, doing that. Hey, there's Jesus in front of me, selfie. They, they weren't doing that. That's not what they did. What they did was they followed right behind their rabbi watching, listening to everything that he did, to take in everything. They didn't want to miss a thing. They were to become like him. They were truly his followers, and that's what a disciple is. And there was a saying that developed among rabbis and their disciples that said this on the next slide. May, your, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You can imagine how that saying developed. Because that's how closely they were following their rabbi. So closely that as he walked, dust would kick up on their shoes. Now you've got to be walking pretty closely for that to happen. You've got to be right there to start getting the dust on your shoes and on your feet and on your pants. That's some close following, isn't it? We don't like people that close to us nowadays, but they followed that closely to their disciple to try to be just like him. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to follow Jesus so close, I get his dust on me. By the end of the day, I should be able to look at my spiritual shoes and say, "Woo, those are dusty shoes. Because I've been following that closely 
to Jesus. When I'm going to, to, to whatever I'm doing in the summer, summer activities, camp, hanging out in the neighborhood, going to work, conferences, whatever it might be, whatever you might be doing, looking down and realizing, oh, I got more dust on my shoes. When we go back to school and we're walking down the halls and seeing people and meeting people and doing different activities and playing our sports and doing our extracurricular activities, we ought to be able to look down every, every now and then and notice we have some spiritual dust of Jesus on our shoes. So, so it didn't matter what the rabbi was doing or what they have going on in life, they never stopped following the rabbi. And that's important for us to understand. Jesus calls us, come follow me. That doesn't mean just show up on Sunday morning and do, do your thing and say you were there. He means follow me. And then all these other things come with that. That is the essence of Christianity. That's what our life is to be consumed with. To follow so closely, we learn everything from him that he has to teach us, and we become like him, imitators of him. Look at these next two verses real quick, and we'll close. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Look at this, and think about what we've been saying in the context of this verse. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Leaving you an example. Well, how do I know Jesus' example? I've got it in his word. I listen to his teachings. I study his teachings. I hear from others about his teachings and that application to my life. And I follow his example that I might, he, he left me an example that I might follow in his steps. 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him. So, to, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, if I claim that belief, if Jesus is Lord, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see that? You see the rabbi-disciple relationship there? So if Jesus is Lord, my shoes are dusty. If Jesus is Lord, my shoes are dusty. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Because I know all of us can follow a little bit closer, can't we, to Christ. Can we help you at all this morning? Are you, have you been following Christ? Have you, have you let some, some distance get between you? Ha, do you need help even just knowing how to start following him? Whatever your help might be, whatever your need might be, we want you to know this church is here to help you. And it might be tomorrow, it might be tonight, it might be... Uh, later on this week, we want you to know this church, this congregation is here to help you online, in the community, members and visitors here. And if there's any way we can serve you this morning, we invite you to come forward now as we together stand and sing.